Good morning and welcome to Convo. I'm Jesse Gottwalls and we are the SST unit from this past summer. The video you just saw was made by John Miller on service while he was making a different video for his final project. We, <laughs> we along with our leaders, David and Kendra and their families, spent the months of April through July in Senegal, a country the size of Kansas on the west coast of Africa. This morning we hope to give you a glimpse of what our time in Senegal was like. Any of you who have traveled can understand how difficult it is to succinctly describe an international trip to people back home. SST is a rich experience. Some things we experienced in Senegal were an adventure, some things were sobering, some were funny, and some were humbling. Overall, we came back with many important memories, pictures, and stories that we would like to share with you today. We're going to start by sharing a list of some of the things we found to be important to understanding Senegalese culture. We hope you enjoy it. Shelley in Senegal, I was known as Deche Marron. And I'm Rebecca Steiner, and I was known as Dibor Endur. As you can see, greetings are very important in Senegalese culture. It is a way of showing that you acknowledge another person's existence. So therefore, whenever you see someone you know, or frankly you don't know, you greet them. Um, this could often be very short and sweet, as was the case with me, or it could be very long and drawn out take 10 to 20 minutes of, how are you, I'm doing good, how are you, I'm doing good, my family's here, God's good, and so on. Um, although when we got there, it was a very strange thing for us, by the end we were engaging in 10 to 20 minute discussions of saying, I am good. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings were really diversified in Senegal because of the many languages represented there. French is the official language, as it was a French colony, but there's also Wolof, which was the national language and was spoken often, as well as other languages such as Serer and Pular. Um, hi, my name is Lynn Weaver, and in Senegal, I was known as Aisha Diata. And I'm Matthew Glick, and I was known as Ibu Fai. And so uh, one of the other things that we thought was really important is food, but uh, that takes a little bit more explaining, so Laura will actually explain a little bit more about that later. And I'm gonna talk about bartering, which is really big in the markets, and also why I'm not wearing the Senegalese dress that I have. Uh, so this is actually one of the things I bartered for. And so you basically just go up to a person and ask them how much is that, and then they give you some outrageous number. And so then you engage in a conversation of, well, how about this much? And then they seem so offended, and then they give you like a number that's like a dollar lower. And then you're like, no, and you go up 50 cents. And it just goes back and forth until you uh, make it to the middle. But it's really important because it shows that you respect them and what they're doing, and you're taking time out of your day to really uh, 
get to know them a little bit because some of the relationships you build in the market, we went back to the same people several times when we were in service. And so it was a lot of fun and a lot of a really good way to use your language skills that you learn. Uh, one of the things that is special about Senegal is that it's mostly an Islamic country. And so we were able to really integrate into the, the religion. And one of the biggest manifestations of that was just being able to hear the Adhan played uh, five times a day throughout the entire city. I was lucky enough to be uh, in both my, host, both my family locations. I was next to a mosque. So I got to hear starting at 5.30 in the morning and ending at 8.30 at night the van cry out across the, the city. And it just served to remind us um, how dedicated Muslims have to be in order to pray five times a day and all the rituals they have to go through. Um, all right, I'm Daniel Buschert. Um, in Senegal, I was known as Mamadou Semben. And I'm Billy Funk, and I was known as Mustafa Sisse. And uh, what we're going to talk about is, the, is being a tubab in Senegal. So tubab is the Wolof word for white person. And, um, and because some of the kids there hadn't seen very many white people, they would like, get really excited when they saw us walking down the street. And so, like, and so when we're like, you know, walking somewhere, we, we, somewhere, we'd have like here behind us, like, them screaming this really high-pitched, like, oh, yeah. kind of like, kind of like, <laughs> hey, Tuba! It's really a high-pitched cut, right? Like, it just hit you. Yeah. Bonjour, Tuba! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really, yeah. it's like, how do they do that? <laughs> and um, sometimes it would, like, like, you would get really, like, on service, we got to the point where, you know, like, we were hearing that, like, every day when we were walking to the school. Tuba! Tuba! Yeah. Tuba! And you turn around, you know, and you're getting kind of frustrated, and you turn around, but then it's just this, you know, like, the cutest little kid ever just holding up his hand to, to shake your hand. Just looking at you with these loving eyes, and you realize it's because, you know, they don't really see a lot of white people. It's not a, it's not a insult, it's a compliment. So, bonjour, Tuba! <laughs> Bonjour, je m'appelle Dom Fall. Hello, my name is Dom Fall, or John Miller, as I uh, am known here. And uh, one thing that stuck out to me, and I think us in general, when we first got to Senegal, is the different style of driving and traffic in general. Um, at uh, the, the first night we arrived in Dakar, the capital city, we drove uh, in sort of a big rickety bus uh, back to the hotel. And we were coming within inches of people on the street, uh, buildings. We sort of ran up on the curb a few times, went into the opposite lane. Um, and we were pretty freaked out, pretty terrified. Um, but after a few days, we realized that's kind of the norm. Uh, it's not really at all unusual to swerve around cars and go into the opposite lane for a little bit or go up on the sidewalk. Um, and it sort of seems like everybody and nobody has the right of way. Um, you, you're never really sure if your taxi driver is gonna stop for the person in front of you or they'll just keep walking or if there's gonna be a, a moped just sort of zooming around you. So I, um, I felt pretty unsafe uh, a lot of time driving and I, I mean, I just thought this is crazy. Why, I mean, why don't they just you know, implement a better system with street signs um, and really lay down the law? <laughs> or at least you know, follow what I, I saw as the, the normal uh, sensible laws of traffic. Um, 
But Tom Myers visited us while we were on study, and one thing he said uh, really stuck out to me. He said, if they drove the way we drive in America, you would hit a lot more potholes. And that really made sense to me. I mean, uh, the roads weren't uh, kept in the best shape, and if you, if you just went straight ahead, you're going to be hitting potholes and, I don't know, animals that are just kind of hanging out in the street all the time. And so just, it w just wouldn't really work. <laughs> um, and so after a while, you begin to see there is, there is a complex system uh, with lots of honking and hand-waving um, and stopping to talk to your friend and make sure they're all right as you're driving by, that sort of thing. And so there's, <clears throat> beneath it, there, there is a, a complex system. And so that helped understand the behavior of it. And I mentioned animals. That's also a big part of, uh, I guess, Senegalese way of life. Uh, you would routinely see uh, either packs of uh, zebu, cows in the street, or donkeys, and you're never really sure who they belong to, and I would try to ask my host family, and they would say, oh, it's so-and-so's, or that sort of thing, but they're always just kind of herds of, anim herds of animals moving through. And so that also made driving uh, somewhat complicated, not knowing if the, if the goat in front of you was really gonna stop or keep going, um, but they, all, they, they adapt to it, and they have a system that works for them. Hi, my name is Karen Fast. I went by the name as Ramatulai Gay in Senegal. Um, the Senegalese always look great. As you can see by the fabric here, it's very um, vibrant, colorful um, cloth. And what you do is you go to the market to purchase your material and then uh, outfits that you would wear in public or to church are tailor-made, so they look beautiful. Um, there were various types of headscarves that women wear for more like fashionable reasons to more religious coverings. Also, um, women wore very dainty, beautiful sandals, which I found impressive because most of the streets were made of sand in the uh, city that we were in for study, so it was incredibly difficult to walk in these little sandals, and I got regular comments from my host sister um, about my clunky chacos and how I needed to buy more attractive sandals, and I was not allowed to wear those to church. Um, also, Senegalese pay a lot of attention to their physical appearance, not in a shallow or um, way. They just, when you go out, you look your best. So part of this is hygiene. You shower twice a day, partly because of the climate. It's very hot and very sandy and dusty. And then women um, would express their kind of individuality through beautiful, um, intricate weaves in their hair that would take hours and hours to do. My name is Erin Brenneman. Um, in Senegal, my study family named me Juma and Joan. And I was given the task of talking about hospitality in a minute, which is impossible to do when you're talking about Senegal because it is, I would say, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, thing to realize about the culture. Um, some people who went to Senegal in the last SST unit told us that they felt confident that they could go there with no plan about where they were going to stay or what they were going to eat or anything, and it would all be okay and be worked out. And I remember thinking that that was completely absurd. I couldn't imagine, I mean, when I go home for Christmas break, I have a plan about everything I'm gonna do. I couldn't imagine going somewhere where I trusted that everything would be taken care of. And um, now that I've been to Senegal, I can say that that's definitely the case. People welcome you into their lives. They give you a Senegalese name. They invite you to eat and to have tea with them and really make you a part of their family. Hi, <clears throat> uh, my name is Jessica Sherrick, or as my family on study, serv um, study and service called me, Maymuna. 
Uh, so throughout service, David and Kendra really stressed stories. So we as a group decided that we really wanted to tell lots of stories so you have uh, that first impression about Senegal. But first, we also wanted you to know where we were on service. So Aaron and Ian were... Aaron and Ian were working in a village in the community in, um, it was called Dengue. And then Billy, Daniel, and Karen were in Grand Bao, and they were helping, teaching and helping with the after-school program. Uh, Lynn, Matt, and Aaron were in Dakar, which is the capital, and Lynn and Matt were working in a clinic. Well, Lynn was working part-time, and then she, after that, she worked with Aaron at a deaf school. Uh, Lydia and Maddie were in Dombo, and they worked at a local yogurt production. Uh, Amanda, Jesse, and John were in St. Louis, and uh, Amanda worked at a clinic, and then Jesse and John were teaching at a women's center. Jesse and I were in Yahar, and we both worked at a rural clinic. And finally, Allie, Kate, Laurel, and Rebecca, uh, worked at a literacy and agriculturally based program for girls. And now for the stories. Nagadef Samaharit, Matadu Rakaya Job. Hello, my friends. My name is Rakaya Job, as I was called in Senegal, but most people know me as Kate Widmer here. Um, I am a senior Bible and religion major and a minor in international studies. As a religion student, I love learning about religions from all over the world in all sorts of different ways. I had already studied Islam with Paul Keim last spring, um, so I was very excited to stay with a Muslim family while in Senegal and to get to know their expression of faith and how that affects their daily lives. I lucked out with an awesome family that love to involve me in any kind of family life, except for chores, strangely enough. And as far as I could tell, anything that they thought that I shouldn't participate in regarding our different religious beliefs and the fact that I couldn't comprehend a lot of stuff that was going on around me. Um, still, I learned and witnessed so much. My family threw a big feast in celebration of a Senegalese Muslim leader, Sheikh Amadou Bamba, um, to which most of the neighborhood was invited and involved the sacrifice of a cow and about five different meals and culminated with an all-night joint neighborhood singing festival um, where devotees sang variations of the intense, mesmerizing, yet beautiful Chant de Bamba. On a more daily basis, I often would see my family members pray together, which I could understand because of my academic study of the religion, but many of the adults in my family would also sit around and with strings of beads that I likened to a Catholic rosary um, and would one by one push these beads through while silently moving their lips. I wondered my, if my assessment of the practice was correct. So one day I was sitting on the floor with my sister and I noticed her string of beads between us. So I picked them up and started to look, in, look at them closer and she looked over at me slyly, waiting to see what I would do. So I caught her gaze, and with curiosity evident in my voice and my um, posture, I started to push the beads the way I'd seen her do, and looked at her and said, Alhamdulillah, 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 
which is um, pretty much the equivalent of our hallelujah or praise God. Oh, how she laughed and said, wow, 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 which is yes, 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 yes. Um, feeling that I was definitely on the right track, I wanted to confirm my theory, so I looked at her again and did the same pushing of the beads and said, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, which to my understanding closest means God is the greatest or God is one. Wow, 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 <laughs> was her response. Satisfied, I put the beads back down, kind of was like, yeah, I got this, um, and we laughed for a while. There was so much laughter shared between my family and I. I would love to tell you more stories, but alas, time is not as fluid here as it is in Senegal, so we're going to have to leave it at that. So, Jetta Jeff, thank you. My name is Laurel Woodward, and in Senegal, it was Fatou Diouf. The culture of food is perhaps the richest aspect of any country. In Senegal, I experienced my biggest culture shock moments and the warmest hospitality around food. Learning the proper food etiquette was actually quite daunting. And because so, eating is so much a part of what we do, our first culture shock experiences usually had something to do with food. We quickly learned to remove our shoes before walking on the meal mat, um, where to put our spoon to indicate that we were finished, keywords to express thanks or need, where to eat, how to eat, where to look while we are eating. You've heard a little bit about religion in Senegal as well, and different religious practices added an entirely new dimension to eating. But despite all these rules, Senegalese, the Senegalese were very warm and understanding. They acknowledged our efforts and cared deeply for our well-being. One day on study term, a few of us decided to go out for lunch together because our lunch break had fallen earlier than the usual lunchtime in Senegal. We let ourselves splurge on food and enjoyed sharing our stories and experiences of the past weeks. And because we still had time afterwards, I decided to slip in a visit with my host mom before our group meeting. I hurried over to my house to find my neighbors sitting down for lunch. After they told me that my mom was at my re her restaurant, they eagerly invited me to eat with them. I realized that it would be disrespectful to refuse, so I agreed to have a little bite, but really I've already eaten. They also happened to be having my favorite dish, so it wasn't too hard to accept. Somehow I managed to fit in an appropriate amount. However, it was much more than I had intended. My pace was slowing as I reached the restaurant, and as I arrived, I, I learned that my host mother had just left for her second job at the hospital. The woman who was running the shop in her absence was just sitting down for lunch. <laughs> yeah. I really had to get out of this one. I had already eaten the two largest meals that I'd had in Senegal at that point, which is saying a lot because it, food is something that people are very generous with. And I could barely move. I pulled all of the tricks that I had thought that I had learned. That I was full, that I had already eaten twice. <laughs> and often, an invitation simply means good etiquette, and your actual response is pretty respected. It was not. 
The woman firmly ordered me to eat. She pushed fishball after fishball into my section and watched carefully to make sure that I ate every single one. I ate more than I had at the neighbors. When I left, I could barely thank them. And then I went straight to our group meeting, which was held over supper. <laughs> the hospitality of Senegal was never hard to find, and I learned it best over food. Hello, I'm Jess, and in Senegal, I was known as Penda Bendia, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about free time in Senegal. Um, on our study portion of SST, we went to school in the mornings and then had the afternoon and evenings to experience Senegalese culture with our families. About the second week in, I came home from school, and my mother asked me if I, my host mom, Nima, asked me if I wanted to go somewhere with her later. I said, sure, why not, and we agreed to leave at five. I knew we were going to someone's house, and so I hoped that the skirt and shirt I was wearing was presentable. When it came time to go, I put on my flip-flops and went to wait in the living room. My mom came out wearing plaid pants and a mismatched t-shirt, and I kind of wondered what was going on, especially since Senegalese women are usually very presentable. When she came out, she looked at me and gave me the once over and looked at me like I was crazy. And I began to wonder what was going on, but just figured, oh, I'll go with it. You know, why not? On our way out the door, she grabbed her tennis shoes and I really began to wonder where we were going. As we walked out the door, we picked up one of her friends who was in full on sports gear at this point. And I thought, I don't think we're going to somebody's house. We finally arrived at somebody's house, but we went up to the roof and there were two other women in sports gear. I had just entered a workout group completely overdressed. There was a missionary woman there and we talked and figured out what had happened. She told Nima who laughed and laughed and apologized. I watched these women exercise and talk about their lives and support each other. And it was one of my favorite things to see. Throughout the rest of my study portion, I went and exercised with these ladies three times a week, and it was one of my favorite ways to spend my free time. Hi, my name is Billy Funk, and uh, Mustafa Sisse for other Senegalese. Uh, <laughs> and I want to talk to you about language. I took French um, two years ago, thinking I would go in 2010, but I got waitlisted and that didn't work out. So I was blessed to go with all these people. Thank you guys. Um, <laughs> but I realized that first week um, that my French was bad. <laughs> I needed help doing um, almost everything. Getting a taxi, someone had to help me out. Ordering food, someone had to help me. I was constantly getting corrected by Senegalese and my peers here. Thanks, guys. No, it was helpful. Sharp learning curve. Um, but all of it started building, and a constant reminder just kind of made me feel incompetent. Like, I can't, I can't communicate with these people. So, OK, set the scene. Two weeks in, I want to get um, Alita a Senegalese dress. Alita's my girlfriend back home. 
and I want to go, I'm going to get a Senegalese dress measured for her. So I start hugging all the girls in our group. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and Lynn is about the right height, and I'm like, oh, okay, Lynn, how about you, my host mom, and my host sister, we'll go down and we'll um, get an outfit made for Alita. And Lynn's a peach, she agrees. I'm like, yes! <laughs> so we go, and we're on the way to my house, and I'm like, I got the taxi, and I'm going to go get the taxi, and I can't do it. Like, I stall up, Lynn has to help me. Thanks. And... Uh, <laughs> And then we get home, and a confession. <clears throat> there was one English speaker at my house. He was an English professor. And this made it um, so if I got in trouble, I could go to him. And I went to him a lot. <laughs> but when I got home, I wanted to prove that, you know, I spoke French. I could do this. So I'm speaking to my family. I'm talking to them. And, and, and they don't understand me. And Lynn has to help me speak to my own family. And after two weeks of just kind of feeling like, man, I suck, that just put a lump in my throat. I was like, <laughs> Sound effects there. Um, anyway, my mom gets all frazzled before we go, and she's like, have you eaten? You gotta go eat. And I'm like, what? No, <laughs> I, I got it. And we, she said, she put me in the back room to go eat, we leave Lynn, I, leave, I left Lynn in the courtyard with my host brother, Uselu, who's the English speaker. And I go and I'm eating alone. And it's there when I'm alone, I realize, you know, I got a lot of stress. And I could like break down and no one would know. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> and you know those, you know, cries, like I, in elementary school maybe, where you're just like, <laughs> And it's like you're crying, but it like feels good, and you're like, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I start breaking down, and I'm bawling. I'm like, oh gosh. And then I don't remember what that feels like. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> and then I'm doing, I'm eating my food. I'm like, oh gosh. And then my mom walks in. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I'm looking to the side, and my mom's like, Billy. Billy? Like, hey, Mom. <laughs> and she gets down and she's like, Billy, Billy, what's the matter? What's the matter? What's going on? And she's got these beautiful eyes and she's looking at me. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and I try to explain to her. I say to her in French, I say, nothing. It's nothing. Nothing's wrong. I just, I just needed to let it out. I just feel stupid because I don't understand the language. She looks at me and she's like, Get him, Salo! He speaks English! Get him in here! <laughs> so I'm like, ah! So Usalu comes in, he leaves Lynn out alone. I don't know what she's thinking. <laughs> he comes in, he sees me, my mom holding me, I'm eating the food. He looks at me, he goes, Billy, is the food bad? <laughs> I'm like, no, no, the food's great, man. <laughs> he gets down. <laughs> So what's the matter? I'm like, dude, I, I, just, um, I just feel stressed out. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's nothing big. I just feel stupid. And he's looking at me because I don't know French, man. And he's looking at me. He's like, Billy, you're great at French. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> he says, my English is horrible. And I'm like, no, Uselu, it's good. You correct my grammar. <laughs> 
people say, no, French is very hard. French people come here. I don't understand them. <laughs> Your friend out there, she tries. It's bad. <laughs> it's okay if you don't know it. <laughs> and my mom, she's just like, Ursula explains what's going on, and she's like, Billy, I speak English very bad. <laughs> Senegal loves English. It's okay. And I'm like, no, but it's all right. And then Ursula looks at me, he's like, we're going to work on French, and you're going to be really good. And then at that moment, I realized, Lynn's out there alone. I'm bawling my eyes out. I got to go out there. And my mom gets up, and she goes, we're going to get water and put it on your face <laughs> so that Lynn does not see you. <laughs> and I'm like, sweet. <laughs> And right before she turns to go get the water, she looks back. Billy is my child. I'm like. <laughs> okay, so the moral, learn your French. <laughs> and two, if you don't know it, they'll love you anyway. And three, Alita has not worn that dress yet. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, Maddie and I lived, as Jessica said, in a small village in northern Senegal called Dumbo. Uh, it was just south of the Mauritania border. Um, and from the very first night, we went to a lot of dances in the evening, uh, most of which started after 12 a.m. Um, this picture in the top left corner was from the very first week we were part of a wedding processional that we really didn't know that we were going to be a part of until we were walking down the aisle. But anyways, that's another story for another time. Um, we quickly became known as the two bobs who danced, um, and these dances sometimes went to 2 or 3 a.m. But for all of them, we were at the will of our family to follow whatever we were told. One exceptional um, example of sort of being at the will of everybody else and being clueless ourselves happened one night. We had arrived at one of these dances. Um, it was about midnight and it was, so it was dark. We were outside um, and it wasn't really in full swing yet. There were people sitting down around like a large array of big like mats and tarps and the DJ was getting warmed up and the drummers were getting warmed up and we, um, it was very noisy, but all of a sudden, I noticed a commotion off to the side. I guess we both saw it. And um, I guess you just have to understand that like, we had not been in contact with any English speakers for like a month at this point. We hadn't watched the news or anything, so like, moments like these when I'm already just kind of disoriented and like, confused when that happened like I swore like there was a natural disaster or there was like a war or like something that I had completely missed and we like we're gonna have to get up and just like run I don't know why but it, it would happen um and sure enough people just start like picking up their stuff and walking off and our sister turns to us and she's like we're going so we our hearts racing we like grabbed our stuff and started going off with her and as we're racing through the streets. Well, we're, we were walking, but it seemed really dramatic <laughs> at the time. 
um, she starts to explain. She goes, there was a man, he was down at the river, he drank a lot of water, and he died. And we're like, okay, um, what, like, what does this mean? <laughs> I thought maybe that the water was like contaminated, and we were going to like tell our families, like, don't go to the river. <laughs> but then I was like, we don't drink the water at the river, so that's not it. And then Lydia was like, oh, oh, he drank a lot of water, like he probably drowned. So then, okay, like, I guess we're not gonna have a party if like a man drowns, so that's okay. And we, I, I mean, it was terrible. It was really terrible, but I think that's why. So we were like asking her, are you okay? Like, did you know him? She goes, no, I didn't know him, it was fine. So things were very sober and we, um, we got to our house and we were standing at the entrance to our home and there were just like dozens of people filing past our house. And I asked our sister, where are they going? And she goes, oh, they're going to the river. I said, oh, like, did you want to go to the river? And she just, she's like, oh, if you want to go, you can go. I'll go if you go. <laughs> and we were like, oh, we don't, no, that's like, what are, what are we going to see? Like, what's, we don't want to like impose, and like, this, if it's like a corpse, or like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you really want to go? She's like, no, I'll go if you really want to go. And, but like, she was saying it in this way that we really thought, okay, maybe she wants to go. So we stood there for like, a minute just kind of in silence like staring contest with her and she was like all right let's go <laughs> so we started going with her and we we walked to the river and we were like meeting up with like lots and lots of people and some people were like laughing and like having a great time and other like we were passing other people like crying just like it was very confusing and we still didn't know what we were really going to go do down at the river at like 12 30 at in the morning um and we got there and there were like a hundred people kind of in this hazy distance. Um, and our sister's um, pace slowed and she's like on her phone and she just looks at it and then she just turns to us and she's just like, he's not dead. <laughs> so we were like, what? She's like, yeah, he's not dead. And she kind of turns around and we were like thinking this guy was like raised from the dead. Like we just did not know what was going on. So we were like, oh, I'm getting it. We were like, like high-fiving everybody and people were laughing and like, it was so exciting. But that did not last long because like all of a sudden, like the hundreds of people in front of us just suddenly turn on us and just start charging in our direction. It's like and a like, stampede. <laughs> our sister just goes, oh, we're going. And like, so for the second time tonight, I really think like this is the end. What is going on? So we, we like jump off. I think we fell off the road, but we like got off the road and we're just sprinting and like there are people pushing us. And we had some time to like turn and I turned and I saw that what it was was like some truck had been just like trying to push its way slowly through like all these people on the road. It was going like two miles an hour. It emerged and everyone like stopped <laughs> running. And we just started like cracking up. We didn't, so. we were just really like emotionally unstable at this point. <laughs> so everybody is now walking with us and we're going back home. Um, and one of our friends, so like we still think that this guy like, I don't know, I don't know, okay, never mind. This guy asks us, do you know what, what happened tonight? And Lydia was off talking to somebody and I said, oh, well, sort of. He goes, what do you think happened? I said, well, there was a man and he was trying to swim, I guess, down at the river. He goes, no, okay. Hey, Bolly, <laughs> do you know what happened tonight? And 
she is like, oh yeah, absolutely. And he goes, okay, what happened? She goes, um, well, there was a man and he was down in the river trying to swim, I guess. He goes, no, no. And he was a really nice guy and he always explained things slowly for us. And he just said, there's a man in our town and he had, there was something going on in his head and he went missing and people found his clothes down by the river. And so they thought that he had, he had drowned. But uh, fortunately, his friends then found him uh, naked in the trees by the river. So, <laughs> Which were um, on the opposite side of the street. Yeah. The river. So, yeah, nobody got wet. Like, no one's <laughs> dead. Like, everything's fine. And here you are at your house. And so we were at our house, and it had been like 45 minutes since we had even like left for this party. And in that time, like, I think I had experienced every emotion like known to man or woman. <laughs> and we just had to like lay down on our bed and just like crack up. Um, yeah. So this is a story of how important it is to be flexible and adaptable on SST and that you never really quite know what's going to happen next. But, um, and even if you think your language is fluent or you're fluent in whatever language you speak there, um, you may miss some things and so there's definitely room for miscommunications, but that shouldn't stop you from doing anything and um, yeah. So. That's the end of our chapel, what we have to share with you today. We're going to put on another song that was played often during our time um, and have our own little dance party. So feel free to stick around if you want um, and clap us on. Or if you want to go, feel free to do that as well. Thanks. Thank you.